to appointment, from relationship to relationship, or from purchase to purchase, or conversation to conversation, project to project, and, and we seldom step back and say, wait a second, what is the thread that runs through them all? When David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he restores my soul. He's talking about a place deep inside of you that is the fountainhead of everything else about you. That is the place where God wants you to love Him. But my friend, that is the place that God wants to change. Well, it's good to see everybody. Uh, thanks for being here, whether you're in the building, whether you're checking us out online. Um, my name's Steve Murphy. I'm one of the ministers here at Discover. And uh, we always, always, always encourage people to bring their Bibles with them. Some people do that in printed form. Some people do that electronically. Um, and it doesn't make any difference, but we definitely want you to be getting the Word, as Jordan said, not only here, but here and here. So bring the Word of God with you, and you can go ahead and go to Acts 9. We're going to go there, but it's going to be a few minutes before we get there, but Acts chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, we want to make sure you have one. We're not going to give you a free smartphone, but you could uh, get a free Bible out in the lobby, pick one up, or maybe you know somebody that doesn't have one. Just grab one and give it to them. We definitely want everybody to have a Bible. <clears throat> it's one of my favorite times of year. I like the change in weather. Um, I like football, and I like some of the fall foods, one of those being the caramel apple. Anybody like caramel apples? I'm kind of a fan. Um, I heard that there's a party game. I've never seen it. Um, I really would like to see it and not participate in it. But it's called, um, uh, well, I don't know what it's called. It probably doesn't have a name. But it's like uh, you have a caramel apple and a caramel apple, and you say, we're going to have a race to see who can eat their caramel apple first. And so on your mark, get set, go. And they bite into it, and this one person is like, whoa, and they're going at it. And this person is like, Bleh! because this is a caramel apple, and this is a caramel onion. Now, I probably blew it for your, like, you know, your next party when you were going to do that. And you're like, ah, oh, now they're going to know. But anyway, uh, can you imagine? Is this a caramel apple? Or is it a caramel onion? How can you tell? What about this one? How can you tell? I mean, the external appearance doesn't give it away, does it? When we're in this series, we're going to be talking about not the external, not the physical, not the stuff people can see. We're going to be talking about the part that is beneath the surface. We're talking about soul shift. We're going to be dealing with what's on the inside. And I would just ask that as we begin, you would join me in prayer. God, we believe that you want what's best for us. So please give us wisdom and courage to let you make us more like Jesus each day. In his name, amen. In the next two months, we're going to cover seven vital shifts that we believe are essential for anybody who follows Jesus. Just briefly going to touch on them. The first one is me to you. We'll talk about that next week. It's from focusing on ourselves to focusing on others. On September 24th, we're taking a break from our Soul Shift series to focus not on what we see most of us in our daily lives, but to focus on the horrific and very much worldwide issue of human trafficking and slavery. 
And it's Freedom Sunday throughout the world, so we're going to pause in our series and focus on that. Then we jump back into our Soul Shift series. We're going to talk about moving from slave to child. We're going to talk about the following week, moving from seen to unseen, focusing on the things that are eternal, not just the things that we see. The following week, we're going to talk about moving from consumer to steward, from accumulating and looking for things that will benefit us to looking for ways that we can use the resources and talents God has given us to benefit other people. The following week is from ask to listen. So we don't pay attention to the people around us as much as we pay attention to God and listen for his voice. Then we move from sheep to shepherd. God has called every one of us to be a follower, but he's also called us to be a leader, to bring someone else, to mentor them, disciple them, to help them grow in their relationship with God. And the final week, we're going to talk about from me to we, from individualism, which is so much a part of our world, to the idea of community. Now, as we talk about this series, let's try to define as best we can these two primary words, soul and shift. Soul is incredibly hard for us to define. It is, it's very profound. There are many, many different words that are translated uh, from the Hebrew and Greek words into words that we would use in English. Um, in Hebrew, the word nefesh is the word that is, is talking about this accumulation of who we are, the essence of our being, the, the wellspring of us, the center of us. And in English, we have all kinds of different words that refer to this because we can't get to the essence of it as the original language would and as the original people in that culture would understand it. There are over 750 times that this word is used in the Old Testament. 750, that's incredible. And it can refer to anything with lifeblood in it. So an animal or, or a person, anything that has lifeblood in it. It, it specifically refers to humanity in a very distinct way, though, when it talks about God breathing his life into us to pour his spirit, his presence into our lives. The soul is referred to as that part that longs after God in Psalm 42, as a deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you, God. In Job, it's talking about the emotional part of us. In, in Psalm 107, it's the part that's about the courage. In Psalm 86, it's the wellspring for us of joy that comes from God. It's, it's also very prominent in the New Testament. And in the Greek, the word is suke, which from which we get our English word psyche. You've heard that word before. It, it's, again, a little hard to define, but you get a little bit about it. It's kind of the essence of who we are. So when Jesus says, what profit is there to gain the whole world but lose your suke, your soul? What value is there? Or the rich man in Luke chapter 12 who, who builds up all kinds of wealth on earth and then finds out that his very soul is going to be demanded from him that night. Or in Mark chapter 3, when there's a debate, Jesus is getting in trouble for doing good things on the Sabbath because he's going outside the little box that the religious leaders have created. And Jesus says, it is lawful on the Sabbath to, to do something good for someone. It, it can be very valid to, to reach into this man's life 
and save his life, you would do that. So it's also okay for me to heal him on the Sabbath. His soul is what Jesus is using, this word, when he's talking about the man. And in Mark chapter 12, Jesus reinforces this Old Testament concept of the Shema. The, the, the Lord, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, all your strength, the essence of who we are. This is the idea behind soul. And I was talking to, to somebody after the service, and they said, it's so hard to define that concept of soul. And I said, yeah, that's why your life group is so good. You can talk about it. What does it mean? How do you understand this concept of soul? It, it's the, the center of our being, the whole of our being. And, and God's Word tells us who God is and who we are, not just in physical ways, but also spiritually. You know, God created every person with an innate sense of, of this, this part of us that is not tangible, but is very real. And even people that don't follow God have a whole, have a longing for the spiritual things. It's really interesting. In the New York Times in July, there was an article, and uh, the, the reporter, Claire Rutledge, said this, people who do not frequently attend church are twice as likely to believe in ghosts as those who are regular churchgoers. The less people are involved in their church, the more likely they are to endorse empirically unsupported ideas about UFOs, intelligent aliens monitoring the lives of humans, and related conspiracy theories about a, gover cover -up, about a government cover-up of those phenomena. There's just longing. There's got to be more than just this physical stuff, and everybody knows that. But not everybody knows this, and this is what God wants us to know. We know that we are designed, both body and soul. Now, it's really important for us to maintain our physical health. We should not um, diminish that. But God wants to meet us in our soul, in the center of our being, and, and he wants to meet us there and, and change us, transform us. He wants to do great things there. And these things happen, these great things happen, when we allow God to shift our hearts, our souls. <clears throat> we talk a lot about discipleship here, and there's a, a verse that sort of helps us understand what it means to follow after Jesus, to be a disciple. It's Matthew 4.19, where Jesus said, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And there are kind of three parts to that. Um, you've heard this before probably, but the first part is follow me. To come behind Jesus, not just in physical ways, but to see how he behaves, to see how he thinks, to see how he reacts, to see how he responds to people, to become like Jesus, to follow after him. And then it says, I will make you. They were fishermen, but Jesus wanted to remake them from the inside out to give them new passion and new resources. And the thing that he wanted them to be passionate about was no longer fish, but people. The shift was from things to eternal things, to people whose souls would go forever with theirs, and, and from fishing for their own benefit and the resources that would bless their lives, and those things aren't bad, but to being focused so much more on the mission that Jesus has for all of us to reach and to seek and to save souls. You know, this idea, follow me and I will make you fish for people, it was a command. 
It's written in the imperative form, but it's also an invitation. And there's something about an invitation. You can either say yes or you can say no. And we have seen that in our own lives, times when we've said yes to God or times when we've said no, or people historically, or people around us. But when we say yes to God, he will remake us to be more like Jesus. Part of our church's vision is to imitate Jesus, to follow so closely after him, to conform to who he is, that behaving and thinking like Jesus becomes almost second nature to us. I like the lyrics of a song that uh, two Christian guys wrote probably about in the 80s or the 90s. It's called Evolution. It's Jeff Moore and Phil Madeira, and this is what they say. I used to trust in natural selection. My survival was all I could see. My evolving to perfection started when God rescued me. I believe in evolution. It's a changing of the heart, a renewing of the mind. It's the only true solution. God is always working, changing lives. And I am so encouraged to see God working in your lives, changing you. Many of you are an inspiring example to me. But it's also encouraging for us to look at the Word of God and see examples of lives that are changed. And we're going to do that now in Acts chapter 9. We're going to look at the life of a man named Saul. And we're blowing through this. You really need to read into it and dig into it. But we're just going to hit it pretty quickly here. So we're going to start in chapter 9, verse 1 of the book of Acts. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats. He was still doing that. He was still uh, breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. There's a big story there. You've got to read a couple chapters before this. It's interesting. But then jump to verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come to him and place his hands on him to restore his sight. <clears throat> Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who you appeared to on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me to you so that you may see again and may be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Before he met Jesus on the outside, it looked like Saul was rocking it spiritually. He grew up with the right training. He was a religious big shot. He he believed people who followed Jesus were radicals. And he was right. We are. 
But he believed that these people were going against God. And that's where he was wrong. See, Paul, uh, Saul was passionate. And he thought what he was doing was right. But his soul was not aligned with God's heart. When our beliefs, our behaviors, our passions, our souls don't line up with God, guess who needs to shift? Saul opposed followers of Jesus, but then he met Jesus, and he was changed, and he became a major leader in the early church. When the, when the scales fell from his eyes, physically he could see differently, but I believe it was a spiritual thing too. He saw people with the eyes of Jesus now. And the Holy Spirit came into his life when he was baptized. He, he changed as the Holy Spirit came into him. And Saul became Paul. And he died defending what he used to kill people for. That is a major shift. Now, Jesus was both Savior and Lord to Paul. Savior and Lord. When Jesus is your Savior, your soul goes to heaven after you die, after you leave this earth. When Jesus is your Lord, Heaven comes into your soul here while you are still on earth. Soul shift is about bringing God's kingdom into our lives, into our world, to profoundly impact and bless lives. Now, as we saw recently in our series in Romans 12, we cannot change ourselves. We don't have the power to do that. However, we can place ourselves where God can change us. And God will work seismic shifts if we let him. I think this cartoon <clears throat> puts this whole idea, though, pretty well. Who wants to change? I'm sorry, who wants change? Who wants change? And everybody raises their hand, right? We all want something to be different. Yes, we're in. Sign us up for change. But who wants to change? And everybody says, well, not me. It's kind of personal when you ask that. And by the way, I'm not the problem. Have you seen these other people? Have you seen that group? Have you seen this belief system? Have you seen how they act? It's really not me. If we want things to change, we must be willing to be changed. And really, that is theology in action. God working in us and through us. I believe real change is deep, disrupting, and dramatic. It's deep. It goes to the, the places that you cannot see beneath the surface. It's disrupting. It, it challenges us. It reorients us. And it's dramatic. It, the change that is, that is true, that happens deep inside of us, actually affects us externally as well in the ways that we behave. You could think of the mountains forming with the tectonic plates that, that, that are moving beneath the surface and, surface, and it's a disruptive event. And then there's this dramatic transformation that shows externally. 
Truly following Jesus makes us truly different. And the Word of God will challenge us and encourage us and transform us. And the Holy Spirit will produce His fruit in our lives. Now, this transformation is incredible, but it isn't usually instantaneous. Listen to what Steve Deneff and David Drury write in Soul Shift. Transformation is a miracle, but it is not magic. It doesn't happen in an instant. It isn't easy or fun to watch. It doesn't defy logic. Sins don't disappear overnight. And we don't pull new virtues out of thin air. If you have tried many times to be different but haven't changed, if you feel defeated by the same old sin, or if God feels more distant than before, take heart. Don't quit. God has not given up on you. Don't give up on yourself. I think sometimes we think, you know, sure, God can work in that person's life. But, boy, you don't know who I really am. And we feel unworthy. And we feel like maybe this is as good as it's going to get. Well, God doesn't feel that way. And it's funny how we think of these people like Saul. Why would God choose him? I mean, seriously, here's a guy who is literally opposing Jesus. I don't think he would have been first on my list of new guy to take the gospel, right? What about the 12 guys that Jesus chose to be his closest followers? I mean, seriously. In, his, uh, in a book that he wrote in the 1980s, Tim Hansel gives us this illustration, and it's about a company that is doing a, a profile assessment of these 12 guys for Jesus, you know, and they're, you know, they're giving him their assessment. And here's what they write. It's our opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you're undertaking. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness and has contacts in high places. He's highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas as your controller and right-hand man. Besides Judas, we recommend you continue your search for other persons of experience and ability and proven capability. For example, Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel it's our duty to let you know that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus definitely have radical leanings. Now, Jesus could see what a consultant could not. He looked not at the outside, but at their souls. And he saw the potential of these followers because he knew if they were willing, their hearts could be fully aligned with God's. You're no different. God loves you. God made you. God is for you. God has a beautiful plan for your life. Maybe you can't see it yet, but it can be full of challenge and growth and blessing. But because God has given us free will, we get to respond. 
how will we respond? A few years ago, Europe began to face an enormous financial crisis. All eyes were on one man, the head of the European Central Bank. How would this man respond? When asked what he would do, he replied with three simple words, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. And as soon as he spoke those words, the markets began to rally. If you respond to God by saying, whatever it takes, you'll never be the same. You see, success as a follower of Jesus does not depend on your ability. It depends on your availability. So, will you let God do whatever it takes? Don't settle into an uneasy but tolerable spiritual existence. Be willing to let God meet you, to shift you, to transform your soul, whatever it takes. The church is called the body of Jesus, and as amazing as it is, we are representatives of Jesus here on earth. And we shift not because it benefits us, though ultimately it does. We shift because we want to align with God and what God wants to do, to, the, to duplicate his presence in us. And when his kingdom comes and his will is done on earth here as it is in heaven, then people can see that there is a God. And he is alive and active today. But it begins here. Now. Today. How are you going to respond? Would you please stand with me? As we challenge ourselves and make a, a statement that, yes, we are in for this. We're going to use two scriptures, and we're going to boldly declare these following words from God's Word as we challenge each other and say yes to going on this journey. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Please join me in prayer. Search us, O God, and know us. Speak to us and lead us in the way of life. We need you. May your kingdom grow in us and shine out through us. Holy Spirit, you are welcome to come in and change us to, to work in our inner being so we become more like Jesus. As you call us, may we respond whatever it takes. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you've never made the first shift to saying, yes, Lord, I need you. I need you to come in. I need you to, to change me. I need you to, to cleanse me. I need you to, to, to wash away my sins. You can do that this morning. You can come forward and we'll pray with you. We can talk with you and help you take that journey 
begin that journey with the Lord. For all of us, may we listen to the Holy Spirit. May we declare our dependence on Him, on God, right now as we sing.